Hello, and welcome to In All Things, a podcast of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church, a global movement of Evangelical Presbyterian churches. Thank you for joining us. I'm Rachel Joseph. Your host for In All Things is Dean Weaver, stated clerk of the EPC. Our prayer is that God uses Dean and his guests to both inform and inspire you about how God is working in and through the EPC. The motto of our family of churches is, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, in all things, charity. Now, here's Dean. Thank you very much, Rachel. I appreciate that uh, kind introduction as always, and uh, welcome to everyone who's tuning in yet for another episode of In All Things Here, a podcast for the EPC, the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. Of course, we hope that while we target the audience that is the um, Presbyteries, congregations, pastors, and members of our churches. We also hope that you'll share this with others. There will be times when you hear a podcast and you think that has value for friends and family, neighbors, coworkers, and we just hope that you'll like us on social media and pass it along so that others can hear the word as well. I've been reminding you in previous episodes about our upcoming General Assembly this coming summer, the third week of June. It's going to be in Detroit, which interestingly enough, our guest in the studio this morning Hails from Detroit, so we'll dig down a little bit deeper. I don't know if we'll go into the Tigers or if we'll go into the Lions or any of that kind of stuff, but we'll, we'll we'll go into Detroit. And I think Detroit is much like my hometown of Pittsburgh, where I think if you're not from there, people have this kind of dated view of what the city might be like and kind of stuck in a, an image of something. And, and yet Detroit has experienced quite a renaissance in the last number of years. And there's a few places in this country at the third week of June as lovely to visit as Michigan. And so I hope obviously that you'll consider coming, even bringing your family, enjoying some extra extended time. But I do want to highlight today uh, what we call the Leadership Institute that takes place at our General Assembly. And I want to highlight that because a couple of our speakers this year, and we're going to have notable people like Andrew Brunson coming and speaking about the oncoming persecution of the church. Did that get your attention? Uh, that's going to be utterly fascinating. And we're hoping to have Andrew on a podcast here in the near future, so stay tuned for that. But we're also going to be having two guys come in that I think are going to be particularly helpful to the local church named Ed Stetzer uh, and Jimmy Scroggins. And Ed and Jimmy are buddies, and they're both some of the more brilliant people in terms of exegeting culture, understanding the church, and applying how we can do evangelism today, because the way in which we maybe have done evangelism in the past isn't necessarily going to work the way it is today. In the past, you might have thought about these large events, open-air crusades, and you think of the era of Billy Graham and Luis Palau. And Today, it seems to be much more relational. It seems to be much more one-on-one. It's taken on a different shape and tone. And how do we prepare and equip our congregations, and each one of us personally, with the ability to be able to share the good news of Jesus with others. In fact, we had some people from Jimmy Scroggins Church, family church down in the West Palm area of South Florida, come and help train some of our national leadership team members at our most recent NLT meeting on how to share the gospel. And, and you know, leaders need to lead, and that includes the people at our NLT. And uh, my guest today is actually on 
the national leadership team. Uh, Brian Evans is the pastor of 5.7 Church in Detroit. I believe it's in the east end of Detroit. And uh, he is also on our national leadership team and has his own podcast that I want to get to at some point so that uh, perhaps we can have a podcast supporting a podcast. I've heard good things about it. I want to give Brian the chance to be able to speak to that as well. So Brian, thank you for coming into the studio today. And we're glad to have you here. Thanks for having me, Dean. Yeah, it's a delight. It's a real delight. So let's start with some background that help people to get to know you a little bit. If my memory serves me correct, I think you have five kids. Is that about right? Yes. Okay. So as a guy with seven kids, I always appreciate a guy with, you know, five kids. You know, I feel like we're kind of living in the same realm, at least, mm-hmm. you know, you know, some of the chaos and craziness that, oh, I, yeah. okay. So uh, wife, kids, married, and, and you have an interesting route to ministry. Like mm. you, you grew up in some tough circumstances and uh, your life wasn't always one of following the Savior, and right. yet he really, uh, by his grace, reached in and saved you, and, and your life since then has been on a, a really redemptive trajectory. So tell us a little bit about your family and your, your journey. Well, my wife, she's really a neighborhood sweetheart. We kind of met in the neighborhood. Uh, we were just kids, basically. Unfortunately, as, as you mentioned, um, I was living a very broken, sinful life. I became a father at the age of 16. But the redemption in all of it is that when the Lord intervened in my life and redeemed me, me and my girlfriend at the time, we got married and all of our children are together and we raised them in a Christian home. And so now my youngest is 19. So my children are all pretty much grown. Yeah. And well, you've got you've got white hair in your beard just the same <laughs> way I do. It's an audio yeah. podcast, not a video podcast, at least not yet. But you, you and I share that white uh, oh, facial yeah. hair. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, becoming a father and a husband at, at that age will do it to you. God has been gracious to us, and God intervened in my life. Again, I was living a pretty rough background in the streets, and uh, my uncle was a pastor. God used my uncle pretty much mm-hmm. to lead me to the Lord. Uh, And it was really God's intervention. I wasn't thinking about being a Christian. As a matter of fact, in the context that I was in, a lot of my friends that I was running with in the streets, um, they were all into the nation of Islam and uh, Afrocentric type stuff. And when I started talking to them about Christianity, they were telling me, oh, you're, you know, that's the white man's religion. So becoming a Christian was not something on my radar. It was, it was definitely God's sovereign grace that came and disrupted the path I was on and led me to himself. I always uh, enjoy the surprised look on people's faces when I say, well, actually the gospel went to Africa before mm. it went to Europe. Mm. So this is not the white man's religion. Right. Jesus wasn't a white man. I know a lot of times in Western culture we've portrayed things that way. Right. But Jesus is for Africa, and mm. Jesus is for all people. Amen. We're all descendants from Adam, and so uh, we all are made in the image of God, and mm. he is for all of us. And so praise God that you found that, and Amen. praise God for your uncle. And I just love your story is an incarnation of a life of redemption. Mm. Um, it could have gone a very different way. Oh, yeah. And uh, you could almost imagine having a child at 16 in the city where the trajectory of your life could have gone very, very differently. Uh, but by his grace, he stepped in. And, and here you are before me today, this this handsome man who has <laughs> raised this great family and planning a church and just doing great things for the kingdom. I'm just honored to know you, my brother, and proud of you for the man that you have become. Yeah, thank you. 
Absolutely. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about uh, 5.7 Church. That's kind of a unique, like, first of all, give us the history of the name, right? Yeah. That That's a little interesting too, but give us a sense of the church and its ethos and what, mm-hmm. uh, what the mission is the Lord has given you in that part of Detroit. The whole ministry of 5.7, it really grew out of my whole story. The church where we where work, where doing ministry is right near where I was born and raised. Uh, after becoming a Christian, the thing that immediately struck me was the lack of gospel-centered churches. Uh, unfortunately, in the inner city, you have a lot of con artists to say, put it, to put uh, no other way to put it. You know, there are people doing faithful work in the inner cities. There's people that's been there for years doing good, faithful work, but not nearly enough. When you look at a lot of the issues, we were talking yesterday in the NLT about some of the some of the justice issues, some of the inequity issues. And I believe a lot of those problems are tied to a need for healthy churches. I believe that where the gospel is preached faithfully, where people are living out the gospel, transformation and healing will take place. It happened in my life. Again, as we just said, the trajectory I was on would have ended me in prison or dead or somewhere on drugs. But the Lord turned my life around, made me a father, made me a husband, made me a contributing member to my community. And I knew that it could happen citywide. And so I began to have this burden and this hunger to see faithful, gospel-centered, Bible-based churches in the inner city. And what we did was I knew I wanted to reach my community. I knew that around this time, I, I embraced Presbyterianism. A lot of people ask me, how, do you, how did you wind up Presbyterian? But uh, that was something intentional because... The simple answer to that is that you were predestined, of course. Amen. <laughs> That's the best answer. All right. I knew, though there was a lack of, of Presbyterian Reformed churches in the inner city of Detroit, I wanted to see the Reformed faith make inroads into my community. What we did was we targeted a particular area on the east side of Detroit where I was from. The zip code that that neighborhood is in is 5.7 square miles. And so what we did was we named the church 5.7 Community Church to highlight that we're targeting this specific area of the east side of Detroit. This is where we're going to love on the people, we're going to serve, we're going to preach and teach and try to see gospel transformation in this neighborhood. So I want to dig down on that a little bit more if we could, Brian, because we've been hearing from the EPC's church health coordinator, Bob Mm -hmm. Stauffer, that there is a move, a significant move across the country toward a more neighborhood-focused church. Mm-hmm. In fact, one would argue from talking with our friends in World Outreach that that kind of approach has long existed in Southeast Asia. Mm-hmm. It has existed in Africa. It has existed in other places where the church has been growing rapidly for a number of years. And the American church is just sort of catching up to what the Holy Spirit has actually been doing globally for a period of time now. But you kind of sensed that from the beginning. You realized, I'm not going to try to reach everybody, I'm going to start in my own community, in my own 5.7 square mile block of of real estate that the Lord has planted me in. Uh, How is ministry in a neighborhood to a particular focused area, how does that help uh, focus your approach to the gospel? Or how does that help you live out your faith? Or how does that help you as a church gain clarity of mission and purpose uh, so that you're not, you know, trying to do everything. You're focused in that one area, but in that one area, you have kind of a comprehensive look as the gospel is touching on all of this stuff. It's touching on family systems. It's touching on, you know, people's 
uh, addictions. It's touching on the equity issues we've talked mm-hmm. about. I mean, it touches on almost everything. So how does focusing on one neighborhood really change your approach to being a church? I love it. I wouldn't have it any other way. And uh, again, just the sovereignty of God, he actually blessed us with a church building right in the middle of a neighborhood. So our church is right in a residential area mm. with houses and apartment buildings all around us. And you're right, things have changed. This is definitely a post-Christian America. People don't just get up and come to church on Sunday morning as they may have once did. So being right there in the neighborhood, it provides us with the opportunity to interact with people on a day-to-day basis. Our strategy in evangelism is to just walk with people through their everyday uh, brokenness. So we do things like we'll get out there in the winter and shovel people's snow. Uh, We have a lot of senior citizens in the neighborhood. We have elderly people who can't afford to take care of their homes. And sometimes we'll, we'll go and do some minor repairs on people's homes. We have some of our sister churches in the EPC. Sometimes volunteers will come down and help us to uh, work on some people's homes. And uh, one of the one of the things I think about is uh, we get a lot of kids in the neighborhood. We have lots of kids in the neighborhood without without much to do. And uh, we have a group of kids that they'll just come to church because we always got donuts and refreshments mm-hmm. and stuff. If and you feed them, they will come. They will come. They That's will right. come. And so I'm, I'm really excited about the relationships that we're able to build with the children in the neighborhood. I think that's the beautiful part about it. And, and I think most of the fruit we've seen in terms of getting people into the church and being able to see people accept Christ, it's been through those relationships. It's been through walking with people through some of their struggles in everyday life. One of my closest friends from the years I lived in Buffalo, I uh, was a black Pentecostal pastor, mm. and he would show up in uh, the Fruit Belt, which was the hood mm-hmm. in Buffalo, and he'd show up with a grill. Mm, yeah, and, and he yeah. would just open up that grill and start cooking dogs and yeah. and man yeah. people just start coming around and before mm-hmm. you know it he had a crowd mm-hmm. and before you know it he's telling people about Jesus mm-hmm. and uh, sometimes he would roll up with a bunch of people with a couple of basketball hoops yeah. and everybody would come out and start playing and that turned into something called a block club basketball yeah. which turned into a, a ministry it became a program mm-hmm. where we would do cooking and have meals play basketball but at halftime always had a gospel presentation yeah. I love Eugene Peterson's paraphrase uh, of the Bible, the message where he says in John 1, 14, God moved into the neighborhood. Mm, um, mm. There's a sense to which, and one of the things I appreciate about you, Brian, is you're so incarnational. You're approachable. Uh, when you're in the neighborhood, you're not driving a big fancy car. Right. Uh, you're not dressed in really expensive clothes. You're just a pretty down-to-earth guy, and the people in your community see you as an approachable person who's actually with them and for them. Yeah, and that that was intentional as well. Again, I think one of the the reasons that a lot of people in my community have been turned off by the church is that they've they've had bad experiences with certain pastors who pretty much play upon the people for their money. And and then in a neighborhood where a lot of these children have grown up seeing their mother struggle to pay the bills and then find out that they're giving their bill money to the to the pastor, um, it's caused a lot of resentment. And so in, in our church, we intentionally show that the pastor is, um, is, the, is the first servant, you know. So like you said, I don't drive a Cadillac. My wife doesn't wear the big first lady hat. As a matter of fact, you probably wouldn't know who my wife is if you come to the church because she's always behind the scenes serving. And, and, I, and I think the people find that a breath of fresh air. Well, that kind of reminds me of Jesus, mm, mm. <laughs> you know, he's not 
having the phylacteries and the long robes of the Pharisees. Mm-hmm. He's not enjoying the prestige of the perhaps most noted rabbi of his time. He mm-hmm. Rather, he's walking with ordinary, everyday people mm-hmm. in his sandals and his regular attire. And, you know, he was... He came for those who were sick. He came for those who were That's poor. Right. And your strategy of helping meet people in their brokenness, it strikes me that I heard you say three things that would be helpful for our churches to think about as, in their approach to evangelism, and perhaps you could elaborate on them a little bit. The first is that you meet people in their brokenness. Mm-hmm. I heard that. The second is I heard you say you come alongside of them and serve them, whether it's a meal or shoveling the sidewalks or mm-hmm. providing activities. And, and those two things build a relationship mm-hmm. and it's it's that kind of building of a relationship that provides the platform to actually share the gospel right that's what it's all about that's what it's all about because um again as we were talking about in the evangelism presentation yesterday we live in a different america and people don't have the same presuppositions that they once did people don't assume the existence of god and so we have to show them Christ. We have to show them the love of God by living it. And and I think what happens is, is a lot of people have a lot of preconceived notions about what Christians are like. Oftentimes they see us as the Pharisees. But when, when we as Christians self-sacrifice and love and show people that, hey, we're not interested in getting something from you. We want to love you and, and, and give you something. I think that breaks people down and it opens people up to hear the gospel. It's not about social work. At the end of the day, we know that people's real needs are spiritual, but those social needs provides bridges for us to get the people to hear the gospel. Right. So uh, we'll just take a brief tack here for a second because you mentioned yesterday the the evangelism training, and Mm -hmm. you're on the national leadership team, and we brought in these guys to train our NLT on how to share the faith. What did you think about as a national leadership team person coming in Mm -hmm. and actually doing evangelism training as a part of that. It was actually good. I mean, the unfortunate side of it is that we should all be experts in in sharing the gospel. But the sad reality is, is that that's one thing that most people struggle with, being able to share the gospel. What was so exciting to me about the training is that they showed us a way to do it, which helps us to see you don't have to be an expert. You don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to be a pastor to share the gospel. But it gave some real practical and simple steps of being able to identify with people where they are in their, in their particular situation and lead that into a gospel conversation. Yeah. And I that, thought that was beautiful. Yeah, one of my axioms, Brian, is leaders lead. Mm. Right? It's pretty simple, but it's, it's true. And I was thinking as the stated clerk that uh, if our leadership team is going to lead mm. and we're going to say to our denomination, hey, uh, here's a tool that could help any person, a child, mm-hmm. <laughs> be a witness for Christ, mm-hmm. we probably ought to actually do it ourselves first. Like, mm. you know, you got to lead by example That's right. in those things. So, and I think there is a power in having a simple tool mm-hmm. because, uh, you know, the Bible's clear that while not all of us are evangelists, and I marvel at my friends who have the gift of evangelism for whom it comes so easily, but all of us are called to be a witness. And yet we all have a apprehension about that. And if you have a simple tool that helps you do it. Maybe we get over the hump and yeah. it becomes part of our everyday conversations with our friends, family, and coworkers. 
Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I agree. All right, so uh, I want to talk about something that I, I find fascinating. Um, you know, as a pastor of a, a local church and busy life and everything else going on, you, you've also branched out into the world of podcasts. So uh, we want to use this podcast to leverage your podcast. Tell us a little bit about your podcast. What's it called? Where could people find it? And what would people expect if they tuned in? Well, first of all, it's called uh, the Truth and Godliness. So it's the Truth and Godliness podcast. You can find it on uh, Anchor and also Spotify. You can find it. But really, the whole idea behind the podcast, really, it's it's an extension of the ministry of 5.7. Again, the whole thing that, that drives me is I want to reach people in my community with what I call biblical Christianity. Again, there is a need in the inner city for faithful, gospel-centered, Bible-teaching churches. And the podcast is an extension of what we do at 5.7. It's an extension of my whole ministry, trying to expose and reach people in my context in the inner city and show them that the Bible is powerful. It's life-giving. Again, a lot, of, a lot of people in my community, they have so many misconceptions about what Christianity is and about what the message of Christianity is. And what I try to do in the podcast is to speak to those truths, to give people the truth about what Christianity really is. And so that's the whole motive behind why I do the podcast. I'm not trying to build myself a platform, not trying to become famous or anything. I am trying to be a voice for biblical Christianity, particularly to people within the inner city context. Well, and in the changing culture in which we live, where Christianity is now kind of either on the fringe or not even in consideration at all, Mm -hmm. reminding people, educating people, grounding people in the things that we used to take for granted is probably more important now than ever. Most definitely. So uh, if some of our, a lot of our listeners, I mean, we have a growing number of churches in urban contexts, but we have a lot of our congregations that are not. So if someone were listening from a, a non-urban context, and should they still listen to your podcast? Oh, and what, would, what would they get out of it? I try to show that biblical teaching, theology, sound doctrine is not just an academic thing, but it, it's relevant to everyday living. As a matter of fact, the reason why I call uh, the podcast Truth and Godliness, and really I take that from Titus chapter 1, where Paul talks about the gospel being the truth, which is according to godliness. And I think what Paul is saying there is that the, the fruit and result of the gospel is that it's going to lead to godly living. And so I want people to see that a right understanding of the gospel leads to the type of godly living that God wants for us. And, and that's especially true, not just in the inner city, but in the suburbs. But, but especially in my context, I believe that there is such a need for renewal in terms of something just as basic as the family. I think one of the biggest problems in inner city Detroit and in every other inner city is the breakdown of the family. The gospel can heal that. The gospel can teach men how to be fathers, how to be husbands, teach women how to be loving mothers and wives. And so the gospel is practical. And that's your experience. I mean, yes, you actually, exactly. you're not talking exactly. theoretically, you're talking both out of the scripture, which is truth, mm-hmm. but also your life, which has been transformed by that truth. Amen. Yeah. So it strikes me, Brian, that in the world in which we live, um, whether you're in an urban context, suburban context, rural context, whatever it might be, small church, large church, no church, it strikes me that we live in this time where the way we behave our morals, our ethics, uh, our conduct, our work seems to be detached 
from any kind of transcendent anchor, anything that kind of holds. So it's, you know, one of the phrases of kind of a progressive secularism is you do you, mm-hmm. right? And, and, it, and that makes everybody their own idol, which now we're back to Adam and Eve and mm-hmm. doing that, which is, you know, right in your own eyes, deciding something that's desirable for knowledge and so forth and so on. So in your podcast, people would have a place to anchor in to the word of God and make decisions on their behaviors that are in alignment with that word. And that will do what in their lives? The Bible talks about the, the fear of the Lord uh, is the beginning of wisdom, you know, and so the Bible is after wisdom and wisdom has to do with living out the word of God. And it's like you just said, and this is one of the things that I love so much about our tradition as being Presbyterian is I believe that in, in the Reformed Presbyterian faith, we try to show how the sovereignty of God affects all of life. It should direct our politics. It should direct our view of education. It should direct our view of family. It should direct every area of life. And I think that's what, what wisdom is all about. Wisdom is really applying God's word to one's life in a skillful way in order that we might know the true peace of God. You know, in the Bible, the, the term for peace, the, that term shalom, is not just an internal freedom from anxiety, but, but peace is a sort of wholeness that affects every aspect of life. And I think that's what happens when you have a, a, an understanding of Christianity, not just some small specific details, Jesus died and rose again, but the entirety, the whole counsel of God's word is going to bring that shalom. It's going to bring that peace to every area of our lives. And that's the vision you have for 5.7. That's the vision for 5.7. You want to see that uh, the wholeness of the kingdom come to your community. Amen, that's it. Well, Brian, I really appreciate you coming in today and spending the time with us, your contribution as a leader to the EPC on the national leadership team, your um, leadership at 5.7 as a pastor in the EPC, but just as a brother and a father and a husband uh, following the Savior and trying to communicate the good news of the gospel to your community and now maybe through these other uh, electronic mediums, even larger audience. I'm just so grateful for you and appreciate you coming in today. Well, thanks, Dean. I appreciate you having me. Is there any final words that you want to share with those who are listening in? Any encouragements at all? I guess I would just say continue to pray for 5.7 and not only 5.7, but uh, for similar contexts all over the country. Absolutely. There you heard it, church. Be praying for our brother Brian and for 5.7 Church. And uh, be sure to uh, tune in and listen to uh, Truth and Godliness podcast with Brian Evans. Hope that you'll give that a listen and share that with others as well. Well, as always, my friends, it's been great to have you join us today. I hope that whether you're uh, working out in the gym or going for a walk around the neighborhood or, or going for a run somewhere, uh, or maybe just in the car on your commute, you've tuned in uh, in this brief period of time. It's encouraged you in your walk with the Savior. Uh, our hope is that you'll learn more about the Evangelical Presbyterian Church and all of the ways in which God is working through his bride. So as we close, uh, let me remind you then of these words from Scripture itself. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him 
all things hold together. For he is the head of the body, the church. And it's to his praise and glory that we gather together uh, this time, every time, and share the good news of what Jesus is doing in and through the EPC. Until the next time, my friends, grace and peace to you. Thank you again for joining us. On behalf of Dean and the entire team, we hope you will join us for our next episode of In All Things. For more information about the Evangelical Presbyterian Church, including a directory of local churches, online resources, and much more, visit our website at www.epc.org. I'm Rachel Joseph. I pray you have an overwhelming sense of God's presence in all things today.